Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Iron Galaxy. Scream like a school kid with Capsule Force, an intergalactic retro anime multiplayer game now available on PS4 and Steam. See CapsuleForce.com for more info. Thanks, Iron Galaxy! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there. No questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not, not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story and their story is your story and then it's our story and then it's a podcast so it's everybody's story and then you've shared it and gosh that's great huh and even if you don't think you're a nerd you probably are it's easily the most midwestern thing i've ever been a part of hi everyone I'm Eric Garneau, and this is a very cool episode of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories, recorded with a couple great Chicago organizations, Breather and Common Threads. Uh, the three of us teamed up to put together a lovely night of stories and songs, featuring the wonderful talents of Kyle Talley, Toby Ciatone, Larissa Zagaris, Katie Johnston-Smith, Logan Dean, Kelsey McClure, and Becca Brown, plus music from Becca, myself, and Dwight Hassler. Uh, there's some really, really rad stuff here, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, let me take a minute to tell you about each of our partners for the night real quick. So first up, we've got Breather. Uh, I talk about this in the episode, but Breather's like an Airbnb for office spaces. So if you need a quiet place to get away and do some work, even for an hour, or have a meeting or something, check out Breather.com or download the Breather app and find workspaces close to you. Uh, we recorded this episode in a Breather space, and man, it was wonderful. Plus, they have candy. Come on, candy. <laughs> then there's Common Threads. Now, Common Threads is an organization that uses food education to help enrich the health and lives of low-income children and families around the U.S. Uh, this is a great cause, and if you have a minute, please head over to commonthreads.org to read about their mission uh, or consider donating a few bucks. Uh, we'll put links to their site on the posting for this episode as well, but seriously, they do great work. Uh, now for a couple more self-serving plugs. The Nerdalogs are going to be at the Denver Comic Con this weekend, June 17th through 19th, selling our game Fisticuffs, putting on a comedy show at Voodoo Comedy Playhouse, and also running a panel on game design. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun, so if you're in Denver listening to this, please come say hello. We also have two Your Stories this week. The first is this Wednesday, which is, of course, the 15th at Demo's Wicker Park. We're teaming up with the U.S. Pizza Museum to do a very cool episode uh, based on the theme A Slice of Life. That's at 8 p.m. And then uh, su uh, Sunday, June 19th at the Sun Office Theater. The theme is Fringe, 
and we're welcoming special guests from Post Loudness, a new audio collective in Chicago that champions voices you don't always hear in podcasting. Uh, both those shows should be a really cool time. Uh, if you'd like to share a story at the 19th show, there's still a few spots left, so feel free to email your stories at nerdalogs.com with the pitch, and we'll get back to you shortly. Now, I think that's all I have to say at the moment, so folks, please enjoy the hell out of this one. Thank you. So Dwight suggested the direction this music should go. We're going to play some breakup songs tonight. Yeah. In case you need to take a breather from your relationship. Uh, this is from one of the best albums of all time. I don't know if I need to set it up more than that. Don't do it. out of here for just a second and let these guys do their thing. Dwight's got to put his battle armor on.
name that faith has brought us here. And we should be together, baby, but we're not. I played it off, but I'm dreaming of you. I'll keep my cool, but I'm thinning. And I try, try to, to say goodbye and not choke. Try to walk away. pretty good guys so we got a bunch of storytellers tonight and guess what the first one is me suckers yeah oh man uh take a breather i'm really bad at doing that so let me tell you about my may may has been a really uh really busy month for me so i moved at the start of may um, I have done eight shows with the Nerdalogs this May. Well, I've done seven. Eight is tomorrow. That may not sound like a lot if, you know, depending on the type of shows you do, but I've had to learn new songs for every show, so it's kind of a lot. Um, this past week, not counting today, my last four work days were 12 hours, 14 hours, 11 hours, 11 hours. I, uh, I'm very, very busy. And it, it, like, the weird thing is I don't even hate it, 
but I just wish I could take a breather more often. But you know, I look at my creative heroes, people like Nico Case and Scott Ackerman. These are people who are also unreasonably busy. And it's like, man, maybe, maybe that's a problem. Maybe I need to look somewhere else for my inspiration. Like, I love comic books. I actually, I manage a comic book store. That's where I've been for fucking 60 hours this past week. Uh, so, okay, I just literally this week, I decided, you know who I'm going to get into? I'm going to get into The Flash. And that's not good. That's horrible. That, like, that is just confirming my addiction to being busy. The Flash is someone who is so fast that he can literally pretty much do everything at once. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of comic book history, because there's a couple different Flashes that I could pick from my role model. So the one you guys probably all know, thanks to the CW TV show, which is pretty good, is Barry Allen. He's kind of the classic Silver Age Flash, the one that put on the costume that's most recognizable, kind of the, just the everyman relatable, like, oh, I'm, I'm this down-home guy who happens to have superpowers. <laughs> Barry Allen ran himself to death to save his friends in a crisis on infinite Earth. So maybe he's not a great role model for me. Maybe he goes a little too fast. And then there's Wally West. Wally is my favorite Flash. Wally was originally Kid Flash. He worked with Barry. And then uh, when Barry did die in Crisis, he kind of became the main Flash. Wally's just, you know, an easygoing guy. He's lighthearted. He's got this sense of humor. He, he doesn't push himself to quite Barry's extreme, but he still works really, really hard. Wally met an end, unfortunately, when a malevolent entity stole 10 years from all our heroes' lives. As we just learned this week in DC Comics Rebirth, he was unwritten from reality. So that's the end I have to look, for, uh, look forward to as a, as a fan of Wally. And then there's Jay Garrick. So Jay is the very first Flash. He is the, the Golden Age Flash, as they say, the 1940s hero. He's an old guy, wears like a Hermes helmet on his head made out of metal. Uh, Jay is pretty legit, man. Jay, Jay stuck it out through all his years, even still at this ripe old age. He's still the Flash, still helping people, but he definitely knows how to slow down. He's got a wife, you know, he's got a great family, got lots of rich friendships. He can be a hero, and he, but he can turn it off. Maybe Jay is the kind of person that I should be like. Maybe Jay is my Flash. But then I think, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can be like Jay. Maybe I need some malevolent force to take 10 years out of reality, and, and that's, that's how I'll finally get a breather. Until then, I'm going to keep doing this shit. I'm going to introduce our next speaker, because that's all I want to say about the Flash and being busy. I'm going to keep doing I, I had more to that story, but I didn't write it down, because I was too fucking busy to write it down. So that's, that's what I remember tonight. But uh, no, man, you know, things are good. I really love doing this. I love being here. Thank you all for being here tonight. I guess those are more like opening remarks in the story. And with all that knowledge of the flash in your heads, let's please get to our first actual speaker for the evening. This gentleman, uh, I am currently doing a musical with him. Four of those shows I talked about this month are a musical called Attend the Tale of Danny Tanner, uh, which is, it imagines a world where Danny Tanner has become a murderer. Uh, one night a year, he goes out and kills a drunk driver to avenge his dead wife who was killed by a drunk driver. Obviously, you all know the story of Full House. <laughs> this gentleman plays Joey Gladstone in the musical. This is Kyle Talley. Yeah! First time. It's the first time I've had a couch. I'm, I want to like lay down. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't present the type of serious. Because Eric, Eric, he, you know, Eric spoke to me uh, earlier. Uh, he asked me to keep it respectable. You know, which is fine. I'll do it. You know, no, it's fine, Eric. You know, there's a bunch of respectable people here. You know, Logan Dean, super respectable. Larissa, she's respectable, you know. All these, all these really respectable people. Well, all right, Eric, fine. I'll keep it respectable, okay? You know, I won't, I won't, I won't tell any stories about having sex with Gambit from the X-Men. 
That's what we want. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I was very excited when Eric asked me to share something tonight. Uh, one, because I love your stories uh, and always have had an amazing time. And two, because I've had a hell of a week. And uh, talking about it here is kind of like free therapy. <laughs> so uh, last Thursday, I was eating lunch when I got a notification on my phone saying I had a meeting in 10 minutes. Uh, that's odd, I thought. You know, I don't remember scheduling a meeting uh, then, but whatever. I probably just, you know, forgot about it. Something just slipped my mind. So I uh, packed up my lunch and I set it down in my office and I went to the meeting. When I got there, I noticed that there were uh, 15 of the most senior employees uh, there in the meeting and I made a joke uh, about them bringing us all in here to fire us. Uh, five minutes later, the HR director comes in and told us that our jobs uh, no longer exist. <laughs> and that we were being downsized. It sucked. I'm not gonna lie. I made a bit of a scene. <laughs> uh, I, at a point, they, they said that they were gonna have somebody walk me out and I told them they can fucking try. Um, I was angry, I was, I was upset. But, you know, when, when I got home, and I had some time to cool down and look at it logically, you know, Everybody loses a job, you know, from time to time. But for some reason, I just couldn't shake the looming feelings of anxiety and depression. I think part of the reason is because this is the first job that I've had in a long time that I was not only good at, but I also enjoyed. I enjoyed what I did. I liked the, the job itself. Uh, I spent the next few days like a ghost in my own apartment. Uh, taking lots of showers and smoking a lot of pot. Uh, for me, like many of you, I'm sure, the hardest part of unemployment is not having anything to do with yourself. Feeling completely lost. Uh, and speaking of lost, <laughs> I got lost in my story. Uh, I started leaving the house uh, a few days later and uh, started my favorite unemployment activity, uh, which is riding the CTA buses, listening to books on tape. Uh, if you've never done that, uh, you got some time to kill, I recommend it. It is very, very relaxing, and you get to see an entirely different side of the city. Um, you know, and I've been insanely lucky to have uh, the, the massive amounts of support and love from friends and family, uh, and, and, you know, things have started to feel better. Uh, yesterday I decided uh, that this was a blessing. Uh, you know, I, I liked what I was doing, but my job, you know, I, I, the, the job, I, I was underpaid and I hated the company I worked for. I worked for a predatory loan company, uh, so it wasn't exactly the best uh, moral situation. Uh, you know, this, 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 new, this, this, this is going to give me the opportunity to get a job where I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm treated well. Plus, they gave me three months of severance pay. Yeah, so uh, I'm able to take a, a, little bit, a little bit of a vacation before I get out there and, you know, get to job hunting. I can uh, take a breather. <laughs> ah, ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, there, I thought, settling, setting the journal down. I've finally written a, your story that didn't involve me fucking gambit. <laughs> I rubbed my eyes. Writing by candlelight helped save money, but it was killing my eyesight. Just then, there was a knock on the door. That's odd, I thought. Who could be calling at this hour? 
I rose from my desk, candle in hand. Who is it? I asked. It's me, Cher. Gambit, I gasped, unbolting the door and throwing it open. Cher, Gambit said as he rushed through the door embracing me. It's been so long, I said, turning away from him. Too long, Cher, he says, kissing me forcefully. We stumble through the hallway towards my room. Gambit lays me gently down on the bed. And as he is about to make me his, he blows out the candle. The end. Oh my god. So much. There was so much happening there. Uh, Kyle brings up an important point of your story's uh, etiquette. If you say the theme of the night in your story, please point to the ceiling. I don't know why, but it's very important that you do that. Thank you, Kyle, so much for sharing that. Oh my god. So, speaking of taking a breather, like I said, one of our sponsors tonight is Breather, uh, which is a company that rents out spaces like this in case you need to get away from home or whatever, find a quiet place to do some work for a while. We have the GM of that company tonight. He is a man of many pastimes. This is Toby Ciatone. It's the most applause I've ever received for any reason. (laughs) That's great. Uh, And I feel bad that uh, my story is also a gambit sex story. Yeah! Yeah! Marry her! But no, I digress. Um, so I, I, uh, when I, Daniela told me about this night, I thought it was an interesting idea. Um, and I immediately thought of the best breather that I've ever had. Um, and as you mentioned, I've had a lot of weird jobs in the past. I've been a uh, tequila salesman. I um, uh, peddled frozen pizza out of a converted airport shuttle van. Uh, for three months, I laid in a coffin trying to convince kids at uh, county fairs not to smoke cigarettes. Uh, I've done all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, this is the least weird job I've ever had, I'd say. But uh, in the context of this story, uh, I am a tour manager for Paul McCartney's 2005 uh, North American tour. Wow. And um, what that entails is, it sounds way sexier than it is. <laughs> uh, it's a, a lot of merchandising, a lot of, a lot of counting stuff, a lot of managing people that don't want to be managed, a lot of bad stuff. Um, but um, part of the perks that go along with that particular job are that you get to ride on the tour bus. And when Paul, or Sir Paul, rather, are on the plane, you get to ride on the bus. And riding on the bus is pretty cool. There's McCallum 25 in there, there's like a bunch of people wanting to party. If you want to party, then you do that. Uh, And it's awesome. So the very last night um, was from Vegas to LA. The Staples Center was the, the last venue for this particular tour. And um, I, I became good friends with the security advisor for, for the group. And he was a Scottish guy. We'll call him, we'll call him Mick. Uh, that's not his name, but I get the Scottish name. Right? Or Irish, rather. But anyway, for this story, his name's Mick. And uh, he and I became very close. And... Uh, we had ridden the bus from from Vegas to LA, 
And during the, sh during the beginning of the show, I had a lot of work to do. And then when the show was normally happening, when you hear the music and stuff, I normally have weird duties to do, inventory and all the stuff I mentioned earlier. So this particular time, I decided I was going to take a breather. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I figured, <laughs> the last show, I'm going to enjoy it. And so I'm hanging out, and then my buddy Mick comes up, and forgive me, I'm going to try to do a Scottish accent here, it's not going to work out. He walks up to me and he says, oh, you really screwed up this time, boy. <laughs> and I'm, he's straight-faced. And I'm kind of smirking and I'm saying, okay, what's up, Mick? What are you talking about? It's like, no, you're going to have to come with me and my friends here. Now, he brings up the two other security guys. And these are, these are big, like, ex-MI6 dudes. Like, <laughs> Paul McCartney does not roll with, like, weak security. And I say, okay. And... So we proceed to go into the Staples Center. And I don't know what's happening. And he just says, you stay right behind me. Don't, don't move. I'm trying not to curse here. Don't, <laughs> but he was cursing a lot. Uh, don't move. So I'm right behind him. There's a couple of guys on my side. And then two more guys come up. So now there's this weird V. And we split the Staples Center. Uh, and this was a sold-out show for months and months and months. Um, what I didn't understand was that my friend Mick was trying to make me feel like the most famous person in the world. Because <laughs> Paul McCartney is the most famous person in the world, as far as most people are concerned, or a lot of people. Um, during that moment, during that about two-and-a-half-minute period of time where he split that crowd for me, 15,000 people were looking at me saying, who is that? <laughs> what is going on with that guy right now? And we went up to the, to the front of the stage and Paul looks down at me and does like a little, like, hey, thanks for your service kind of nod or whatever. And I realized then that my buddy Mark had, Mick, sorry. <laughs> had uh, completely set this thing up to just screw with me, basically. And so we go backstage, and I say, what was that about? That was amazing, but what was that about? And he said, and then he pulls out a pair of pants that I had left on the bus. And he says, that's what fucking happens when you leave your pants on the tour bus. <laughs> I'm glad I took that breather. <laughs> and what Toby didn't say was that Gambit was waiting back to yeah. Thank you so much, Toby. My God, that was incredible. Uh, guys, coming up next to the stage, we have actually a member of the Nerdalog sketch troupe, so I guess I lied at the, at the top. We are going to tell a few of our own stories. This is Katie Johnston-Smith. Did I, did I mess that up? Yeah. Oh, I flipped that. Hold on. This isn't Katie. Larissa, you're in the nerd one. Nope. Um, 
Coming up next, we have a friend of the Nerdwalk. She just actually successfully kickstarted a really wonderful project uh, called uh, Taylor Swift Girl Detective, which is a an illustrated book in the vein of uh, Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys, starring Taylor Swift and her best friend Lord. She is not a member of the Nerdwalks, and I'm sorry that I got the order wrong. This is Larissa Zagaris. I'm in a Jane Austen novel, <laughs> like a sitting performance. <laughs> it works for me. And it's great that you confused us. It really goes with the theme of my story. <laughs> okay, so um, my name's Larissa. I am friends with Katie. Uh, I think, and here's my story. Great, great. She's the performer. I'm the writer. Uh, so I think a lot of us first learn how to love our friends and partners when we first start to love, love our friends and partners when we are moody teens. For me, the teenage years were also the time I first learned to love music. So much of the teenage years involve self-discovery by way of self-definition and self-proclamation. I love this, therefore I am this. Close friends, boyfriends, and say David Bowie, Morrissey, Bell and Sebastian, The Cure's album show, gave me the blueprint to being myself when I was a teenager. I knew who I was because I loved what was me. Writ large but small but large across the south suburban roads I would endlessly terrorize with my best friend Jamie. The CD player I would mercilessly abuse with whatever emotionally charged glam rock or sad Brit pop I could find at the UCD store. The back seats I would fall in obsessive gorgeous love in again and again and again. Being a teenager is a lot like being a toddler. Only you have the added benefit of being able to French kiss and write Smashing Pumpkins lyrics and bubble letters on your backpack. <laughs> you are literally, for the first time, discovering your body does cool stuff in a conscious way. You are discovering your heart feels things in a conscious way. You are discovering music that no one has ever before discovered and it's awesome in the truest sense of the word and it's yours and you're infinite, and everything you feel and love is yours, yours, yours for this moment and forever, and you breathe it, eat it, sleep it until you discover the next band or bestie or boyfriend. What is easy to forget about teenage land versus adult town is that <laughs> discovery is not necessarily the be-all, end-all of human love. Being endlessly, inextricably wrapped up in anyone or anything else is fun for a time, but after a while, you need to come up for air. Pointing at the ceiling. Some points along the passing of the torch from the last generation of olds to the current one gathered in this room today, I think we have all confused the old teenage way of loving someone, breathlessly, consumptively, obsessively, with the right way of loving someone. Yes, we all culturally pay lip service to being our own person, keeping a balance in friendships and love relationships, but who out there among us doesn't feel a flush of, yeah! When we experience the punch-drunk madness of being part of a squad, having a ride-or-die, finding true love, and abandoning that true love when you find an even truer love <laughs> that makes you feel ever more giddy and alive. I refer to this, personally, um, as the Lisa Frank stickerification of emotionally regressive and nihilistic Mad Maxi times. It is a self-destructive, self-limiting set of behaviors. I don't want the idealized way to love a friend or lover to be dictated by an idealized version of the way I did so in the 11th grade. But when I was 25-ish, I met a friend who made me feel like 
I felt about best friends in the 11th grade. And I was hella Lisa Frank Mad Maxi about it. She was my ride or die. She made me feel understood, defined, infinite, beautiful, powerful, unalone, known. And I think I did the same for her. We did everything together. I could list this forever, but for narrative, uh, ec economy, everything. We ate, breathed, dreamed each other. We spent all of our time, all of our energy together. She was married, I was single. I wondered why it felt like we were kids, being best friends and having sleepovers, but I didn't care enough to investigate that feeling. It felt too good, having this perfect, no space, no breath friendship. We were one person, I never had to feel alone. Until she had an affair, and then a divorce. And I knew almost every step and every slip down the road to ruin she was running, and I tried to take on all I could until I just couldn't anymore, or wouldn't. And as much as I hated to admit it, she had taken on the human role of the Cure's show album, something I loved to death, but just didn't want to listen to anymore. I wasn't outright cruel about this. I was heartlessly cruel about this. I downshifted my role in her life, I'm going to cry, as she upshifted into a new group of friends I became alternately wildly jealous of and thankful for. I needed a break but lacked the emotional wherewithal to say as much clearly. The silence and breath that had never existed between us began to last for hours, days, weeks, months, until a year and change had gone by and all I knew of her was gleaned from internet stalking, until all I shared of hers was the past, until the truest mark of our ride or dineness was me not talking as much shit about her as everyone else because I loved her more and missed her more and needed her because part of me was her. Um, because as bullshit as obsessive friendship and love is, it is usually born out of a sense of finding your tribe. Someone who speaks your language, someone who you get and who gets you, who makes you better or makes you want to be. David Bowie doesn't stop being David Bowie just because you're tired of the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust. Katie hadn't stopped being Katie and I hadn't stopped being me. What I had done in our year part was grow. I learned what it was like to make new friends, less obsessively and more healthfully. I fell in love and out of it. I made so many mistakes. I had my own affair. I made so many bad calls. I learned what it was like to be abused. I learned what it was like to stop being abused. I learned what it was like to rebuild myself from scraps out in an emotional desert of my own making. I learned how to follow through on myself and create my own self-esteem, not tied to the love or brain of someone else. I learned what it was like to leave the nursery. It just took so very, very long to pack up my little backpack of self-actualization and reflection and to head back to Katie's for a sleepover party in our souls. When we finally reconnected after our very long breather, <laughs> rebuilding our friendship, thank you, snaps, felt like brutally re-breaking a bone so it could knit together properly. I would like to see the set of Lisa Frank stickers for that. <laughs> I am better friends with Katie now, not because we are ride or die bestie sister BFF squad goals till the end bitches, but because we're our own people. Because of... Instead of needing breathers, our relationship has breathing room. <laughs> Instead of nonstop conversation, we have meaningful ones. 
a lot of the time, they're about boys and UTIs. <laughs> but, the <laughs> but the rest of the time, they're about our own separate goals and some shared ones. One band I grew to love and as an adult has a song that goes, be my head and I'll be yours. I think of that lyric now a lot when I think about Katie, what Katie and I share, and even in a lot of my friendships or about love in general. I like the sentiment. You take a load off for a while and shoulder it for someone else. They do the same for you when you need it. But you can't be someone's head for them unless you keep your own. You can only keep your own if you're less ride or die and more so ride alongside while both being alive and enjoying the experience along with a multitude of others. You can only do that if you know the complete blueprint to yourself is not locked up in one other person alone. It's scattered like the best used clothes and CDs <laughs> in bins and racks all over the damn place and you'll spend your whole life finding them. You can only be someone's head if you keep your own clear, if you find the next grown-up way to love someone, and if you breathe. I don't know if you guys remember about five minutes ago when I accidentally gave the wrong person an introduction. <laughs> you can forget that because I think Larissa introduced her pretty well, but uh, just for your edification, once again, this is Katie Johnson Smith. Yeah. For real this time. Yeah. Hey, thanks. You. Thanks. Now we're all crying. It's fine. <laughs> we're all crying, not just me and <laughs> All of us are crying. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not a member of the 27 Club because I'm 29 and I'm still here, but a version of who I was when I was 27 is for sure dead. <laughs> and this version of me lived in a world where working as the underpaid assistant to a narcissistic, misogynistic trust fund baby while completely ignoring the fact that my marriage was not as super solid as I pretended it to be was like... The best life I could live! <laughs> um, I lost my place. <laughs> All right. 27-year-old Katie also had three ride-or-die bitches. I considered my best friends, and we were creatively in sync and forged what felt like some deep and unbreakable bonds. And I never truly felt like I had a lady crew, and with those ladies, I totally did, and it was like, some kind of magic. However, as I said before, the version of 27-year-old Katie is dead. And I killed her. <laughs> <laughs> and the killing of her also broke up the band. For those of you listening on the podcast, I just did hand air quotes <laughs> like a true um, poet. <laughs> I went through a hard time. My marriage ended, I left my job, and in certain circles of people in Chicago's small comedy slash theater community, I was not a popular person to know. During the time, that time, I needed my friends the most, and I felt like they abandoned me. So I spent a lonely summer walking dogs, making new friends, and making out with hot dudes! Woo mom! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
spent a fair amount of time resenting my former ride or die bitches. I would see them post pictures on social media together at parties I was not invited to. I would read the creative things they collaborated on and stew because I was, in a way, I guess, their jealous ex-girlfriend. As I was social media stalking them from afar, I noticed they stopped posting as many pictures together and stopped collaborating on as many things. It seemed like maybe we all kind of broke up and we lost each other and that it might have happened without me doing anything. Because I, I guess that's what happens with adult friendships or any relationship really. Either you grow together or you grow apart. Either it ends or it doesn't. Tools exist for those who have ended a romantic relationship. And society understands that, oh yes, a romantic relationship has ended. You should mourn that. You should feel something. But if a friendship fails, how are we supposed to grieve? I'm glad I killed the 27-year-old version of myself. And I don't mourn her anymore. I've also realized that it is a lot to ask of anyone to stand by you while you self-destruct. Because people have their own shit to deal with. And just because someone isn't actively in your life for a little bit doesn't mean they'll be out of it forever. And Larissa mentioned to me today that she was listening to this song by the band Chicago um, a lot. <laughs> and so I listened to it too. And uh, here are some lyrics that really resonated with both of us. Everybody needs a little time away. I heard her say from each other. Even lovers need a holiday far away from each other. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, that's a really like poetic segue for me to tell you the happy part of the story. Um, so some of my lady squad has come back into my life over the past year, namely Larissa. And I've got to say the friendship is now stronger than it has ever been. There's a, like she said, a lot of UTI talk. Like, like I think we, we talked today for probably an hour about UTIs, because guess what, everyone? We both get them a lot. A lot! <laughs> I don't have that much to say about UTIs. There's a lot. 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 <laughs> and, like, also, aside from the UTIs and, like, the, the boy jibber-jabber, our friendship is a lot healthier because we know how to support each other both creatively and emotionally and, like, also by, like, really building each other's self-esteem up a lot because I will also say we're both a lot hotter than we were two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and time has given us perspective on ourselves and... Um, we know now what we need from any sort of relationship or friendship, whether that be romantic or with each other, which is also romantic. <laughs> um, and adult women no, don't need to be constantly like up each other's 
asses for their friendship to be valid. And then um, what I wrote is, I'll add more to this ending probably, and I'm not going to. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. Um, I I just really want to know, like, so you have one really good friend you talk about UTIs with. Yeah. Do you have to share it with then everybody else in the Nerd Alarm? No, there's one for everyone. Oh, I got a period and I need to go change my tampon right now. (laughs) What are you doing? That's like a mic drop. That's exactly what that was. That was a mic drop with a tampon. Anyway, coming up next to the stage, this gentleman runs a a comedy show himself in Chicago called The Show Below. He's a very funny dude, very great dude. Uh, Also dating Katie. That didn't come up in her story at all, which is really surprising. But for the first time ever. True story. True. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do this to you because Katie didn't. Katie and I. Katie and I did mortified. Uh, about a month ago at Lincoln Hall in front of what a sold-out crowd of like 300 people and in front of this giant sold-out crowd as a part of SimFest Katie stopped her talk to point to Logan and say hey that's the guy I'm having sex with and Logan stood up and then the theater applauded <laughs> guys this is the person Katie's having sex with Talk about uh, what? Oh, yeah, that was a great show. You guys killed it. Uh, real quick, uh, you forgot a flash. Uh, well, I purposely didn't talk about uh, Bart Alice. Allen, yeah. the uh, the shortest lived Flash, who was killed by the Rogues. Yeah, I, I don't feel it's like a great I'm story. Problem with impulse, but thanks for uh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's podcast. That's what you have dialogues. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so usually, I come up and I like. Uh, wax poetic about Dungeons and Dragons, or I like berate Eric for no reason. Um, but I thought I'd take a breather from those things. Uh, so, like thinking about the the theme of tonight's uh, like show, I uh, I thought of a ton of stuff I could talk about. Like uh, recently, I went to the Grand Canyon, um, or like how like I never take any time off from work. So like I'm kind of I've got an over under on if I'm gonna lose my hair or it's all gonna go gray. Like which one's gonna happen first? Uh, instead, I wrote a list of uh, the best scenes in movies that are around the plot device of breathing. <laughs> Now uh, you could you could argue that every scene in a movie is is a, a little bit about breathing, um, but these are the ones that are specifically focused on breathing. Uh, so number one is Harry Connick Jr. in Independence Day. Uh, there's a really great scene where they're flying away from alien spacecrafts, and he's like, oh, "I can't breathe," and Will Smith is like, "No, I got to keep your mask on." And Harry Connick Jr. is like, "Nope," and he takes it off and then proceeds to die. Uh, number two is uh, the, re-bre- the rebreathers that the Jedi have in episode one. Um, why do they have those? Uh, do they go underwater a whole lot? Because their kit is just a belt, and that's like a thing in it. Not like an ace bandage or like another hand, but uh, rebreathers that they use to go visit the frog people of Naboo. Um, number three is the scene where Harry eats that uh, bundle of squid worm tentacles in Goblet of Fire so yeah. that he can breathe underwater. Yeah. <laughs> we all know that one. Oh, uh, I totally uh, I totally forgot to do a spoiler alert before this. Uh, thanks. Sorry. If you're listening on the internet, um, don't listen to this. Uh, number four is any scene where someone freezes to death in space. Um, there's a lot of really good ones. Uh, 
Sunshine has a good one. Uh, the Event Horizon has a really good one. Uh, there's a really good fake out Freeze to Death in Space in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, spoiler alert. Number five is the entirety of Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> because I held my breath the entire time. Uh, Deep Blue Sea is a cinematic masterpiece in which LL Cool J kills a shark with a crucifix. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, speaking of sharks, the Jaws diving scene where Richard Dreyfuss is investigating a shipwreck and a uh, corpse pops up to meet him. That's still in my, like, top ten childhood scares of all time. Number seven is Pierce Brosnan choking in Mrs. Doubtfire at the restaurant where he is, where, where Robin Williams' character is outed as Mrs. Doubtfire. That's a great one. Uh, the movie Waiting to Exhale. I, I, I've actually never seen that movie, but it's called Waiting to Exhale. Uh, that part in Watchmen when Dr. Manhattan forgets that Silk Spectre needs air to live when he takes her to uh, Mars. That one's for you, Eric. Yeah. Uh, because I shed on you so much the last time I was up here. Uh, the night fight at the end of Dune. Uh, between Kyle MacLachlan and Sting. Um, that's not because it's about air, but it's because Sting wrote and sang Every Breath You Take. <laughs> so that's that segue. <laughs> and then uh, the part in Jurassic Park where the raptor breathes on the glass and like puts his hand up. Um, I always want him to like write something in the fog, <laughs> like F-U-K, the letter U, or like a dick. Uh, that's about it uh, I got for that particular list. Uh, but uh, thanks for listening. I'm gonna go back to my seat now. Yeah, last time Logan did the show, he got mad at me for something he dreamed that I didn't do to him. Yep. Uh, so that didn't happen this time. Also, uh, eagle-eared internet listeners will realize that was the second story where Dr. Manhattan was mentioned. What was the first? I don't know. Tweet at us, but read DC Rebirth. It's really good. <laughs> Note to all the nerds out there. Sorry if that's a spoiler as well. We have two more speakers, one of whom is going to get a, a beer right now. All right. Are we good? Yeah. All right, so this next speaker uh, was brought by our fine sponsors and Common Threads. I already mentioned uh, what they do, but please, so we're all here in part to, to benefit what they do. So if you got a couple bucks, toss it their way. Donate on their website. We'll definitely post links with this episode as well. Common I have a Threads. Square reader. Right, we have a square reader, so you can use credit cards. If you don't have a couple bucks, we have a plastic. But yeah, um, very great organization. Very excited to have this next speaker. She is a stand up comedian. This is Kelsey McClure. <laughs> Uh, so before I moved to Chicago, I lived in St. Louis, and um, I produced comedy shows there. It's my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, I love comedy, and I, St. Louis was like a, like a growing town. It, like a lot wasn't happening, and I kind of like got to be the person that would like bring people into town. Um, and one of the jobs of bringing people into town is making sure that they're happy, you know. And uh, it was always comedians, and there was like this. There's a code word: uh, comedians on the road. They can't really like take weed with them because, you know, if they get pulled over, then they go to jail or get tickets they can't pay, so on and so forth. Um, so usually if somebody wanted me to, like, have some weed for them when they got to town, they'd be like, oh, I'd like to party. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. Um, no big deal. Um, and this one guy in particular was coming in from New York, and he sent me an email, and I was like, oh, <laughs> don't say the party word in the email. He's like, my, I'm bringing my friend, my friend that's coming with me really likes to party and then put like 20 explanation points <laughs> after party. I was like, okay, so I have to get him a whole lot of weed. Um, so they got to town and with an ounce of weed shoved in my crotch, I walked to a bar 
uh, next door to Bush, next door to Bush Stadium, uh, to go meet him to give you know to give him his uh, party goods because they were and they were also in town for like four or five days, so it's like I don't know how he's gonna smoke all this whatever. Maybe it's not that hard. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, uh, I get there and I'm like I got this stuff with me, and he was like, oh you don't have a purse, where is it? And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's like, oh, well, what'd you get? And I was like, I got, I got you an ounce of weed. He was like, oh, I don't really, I don't really like smoking weed. Like, it's like, it like calms me down. He was like, I wanted to party, party. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, and I happened to work at a music venue at the time. So it was like, I got this, no big deal. Uh, he's like, well, how much, how much money do you think I should give you? Like, what's, like, what's your rate? And I was like, I, <laughs> I don't know. I've never done this before. <laughs> so he goes to the ATM and homeboy pulls out $700 because that was the most that that ATM would let him pull out. And also he had already pulled out like four or $500 earlier in that day. Um, so he walks over and like, and he just like at the bar just hands me the money, and like Dare told you like how to say no, but they didn't tell you how to say no when there's like a lot of money right <laughs> So he says, just go get me as much as you can, and whatever like is like on top of that, like you can just keep for yourself. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I walk back to my car with the weed still in my crotch and seven hundred dollars cash, and I get in the car and I sit down. And I'm like, you're going to jail. <laughs> you're about to go to jail. Um, I turned on the, uh, the radio, and uh, this is why I just decided to do this story, is because Ludacris is breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, we're fucking going to drug town. Um, and I, dry, I was driving at the time a uh, 1991 Mitsubishi Eclipse. Uh, that I had rear-ended somebody in on an icy road and never got fixed. So I would just get pulled over just because. Um, this is the forefront uh, of my mind as I start off on my little adventure for the day. Um, I didn't know what to do. I had never bought these kind of drugs before. Um, I knew people at the music venue that I worked at, like, you know, like one time I kicked open the door because I thought somebody was taking too long to poop and they were just like blowing lines off the sink. Like, I knew that these things were around, I just didn't know who I had to talk to. And um, also as a complication, a very good friend of mine had OD'd the week before. Uh, so the people that I typically would have asked about this, uh, I didn't want to be like, hey, I'm trying to buy a whole lot of drugs. <laughs> uh, praise Mikey. Um, but. There was a show that night. Um, There's an EDM show. And I was like, I'd probably be able to find somebody there. Uh, so I drive uh, down to where the show is, and I see my buddy uh, Robert walking down the street, and I pulled over, and I was like, man, do I have a story for you. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, but I have $700 in cash, I have an ounce of weed, and I need to buy some drugs. And he was like, oh, i got a Molly guy. <laughs> I was like, you have a Molly guy? He's like, yeah, like, what else? Do you want Molly? Do you want Coke? Like, what do you want? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want all of it. He was like, well, how much do you want? And I was like, $600 worth? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's like, yeah, uh, let me make a phone call and uh, just hang out here. Just hang out here. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to go inside. I have an ounce of weed in my crotch and $700 cash. I would like to be, like, in a building where nobody can see me. 
Um, I don't know also why I never took the weed out of my crotch. Uh, it wasn't like in, it was just like in the panties. I feel like I should, yeah. It wasn't like prison weed, it was like 26 year old white girl not knowing how to sell drugs weed. Um, so he just walks out like very nonchalantly. He's like, yeah, it'll be here in like 20 minutes. Like, okay, cool. Uh, what do we do? It's like, I don't know. So we just sat there and waited outside for his drug dealer to pull up. And it was a really strange experience. And so this guy shows up in a 1998 black GMC conversion band. band. <laughs> like, that looks like a drug dealer's car. Apparently stereotypes exist for a reason. Um, and so the, the transaction happens and we exchange money and I get all of the drugs. And then I drive them to the guy who wanted all of the drugs. The whole time I was like crying. I was thinking like of all the nice things my mother had ever said to me because I was like, I'm gonna need to remember these when I'm in prison. Um, and unload everything. And, and that was just it. Like I didn't have any more drugs on me. I had made a hundred bucks. And I just sat there in the toilet stall for I don't know how long and just like, thought about my life and that I was a server at a bar and worked at a music venue and that in half an hour I was able to just rally up a shitload of drugs and if that's where I wanted to be um, I took a real breather you know what I'm saying and uh, that's it <laughs> I didn't go to jail guys thank you thank you Kelsey definitely not in jail definitely doesn't work for any reputable beer sellers or brewers. Man, that was wonderful. Guys, we have one more storyteller tonight, and then we're going to take you home with a song. You saw this, uh, this lady up here singing uh, her heart out earlier. Now she's going to talk at you. This is Becca Brown. Ooh, I love this space so much. I love this show, and I love this couch. It's just like the therapy that I really need but cannot <laughs> afford. Um, hi, I'm Becca. Um, okay, so this is the classic tale of a girl who is on a breather, so to speak. Um, I was fucking some guy that was in a class with me. It was a year-long improv program at a renowned uh, improv theater in Chicago. And uh, we were in the same class, and we would fuck in very short, um, short-lived spurts. Uh, and between those spurts, we would always call it taking a breather, okay? <laughs> and while we were on said breather, it was Tinder town. Uh, this is when Tinder first started. I was like into it and I would never actually like meet anybody because I secretly was like, I want this guy to be my boo. So I'm not gonna actually like go and fuck other people, but he was definitely fucking other people. The guy's a dick. Um, I digress. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, so he royally pissed me off at one point. It was summer. Uh, Mama was horny and looking to just, like, sit on some wieners. So I was like, I was like, sorry, I'm getting so gross. Uh, uh, I'm not sorry. Uh, I finally, like, got around to scheduling a date with a faceless man. Uh, he wasn't faceless. His pictures were on there, and we had like two, couple two three like Facebook mutual friends on Tinder, which is a feature that they have. Uh, 
So I like looked him up and I was just like, oh, he's a music journalist. I learned from his Facebook. I learned that he's a music journalist, that he's half Korean and half um, Italian, which made this beautiful, beautiful man. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's do this. This could be a f- good first actual meeting a person on Tinder. Uh, yeah. So, oh, also he wrote a Vespa. <laughs> so we scheduled a date. We met at Bangers and Lace, which has a bomb-ass grilled cheese with a cold um, gazpacho-type situation. Anyway, uh, I got there. He's blackout drunk already. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. And he's like, catch up to me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to have to probably. So I, um, I drink a handful of Negronis, um, a handful meaning five Negronis. Uh, if I, I'm the kind of person that has different personalities with different liquors, and uh, gin specifically turns me into a goddamn criminal mastermind. Uh, so that is important to this story. You should know. Um, yeah, but then like things like whiskey and beer turn me into my own personal cheerleader, and I buy myself presents like a long, like a ten foot long iPhone cord. <laughs> I never leave my bed. It's great. Um, but gin. Uh, I drink five Negronis. I'm pretty tanked. Still not as tanked as Tinder John. Um, yeah, he is tanked, and he's like, "Let's go back to my crib. I live in Pilsen." And I'm in college at this point. I go to UIC, so I'm like, yeah, Pilsen's close to my house. I could do this. I could sleep over at this stranger's house. It's cool. Uh, so we Uber back to his crib in Pilsen. He left the Vespa. It's cool. He didn't drunk drive me on his Vespa to Pilsen from <laughs> Wicker Park. Um, and we're sitting in his living room. We're smoking rolly cigarettes and drinking more beer at this point. And he was just like, it's getting late. You want to go lie down? And I was just like, yeah, but it's sticky hot summer. And uh, I like to, before I fuck somebody, like wipe my boobs wet. (laughs) I'm a a human with problems. (laughs) Therapy, am I right? Uh, Yeah, so I'm like, I'm going to, I need a breather for a second. I literally said that to him too. I remember specifically saying, I need to go take a breather. Uh, And I helped myself to his bathroom wipe my titties down and I was like I can do this I looked at myself in the mirror I was like you're gonna fuck a stranger (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to bring this in Uh, we had not kissed we had not touched each other sexually at all at this point I go back into his room after I've splashed water on my face and wiped down my breasts (laughs) and he's passed out butt naked (laughs) on his bed with a condom on his flaccid wiener. No! Yeah. The story does not end there, friends. Okay? Uh, I'm, like, not going to stay at this boy's house in Pilsen. I don't care if it's so close to my class the next day. Like, I'm just, I'm like, no, no. This guy assumed that we were going to bone, even though, like, we totally were, but <laughs> he, but the fact that he assumed it made it not okay to me. Uh, I... Took a picture, which I still have. <laughs> Fuck that guy, weirdo. Uh, Tinder John. Tinder John, man, what a creep. Um, yeah, I took a picture, and then I was like, not going to pay for my own Uber, right? It's three in the morning, but I don't deserve, I don't deserve to have to pay for this Uber. Negroni Becca takes Tinder John's uh, phone 
and tries to unlock it and I couldn't get in. There was a password. So I was like, fuck. I grabbed his wallet. I grabbed his credit card. I entered his credit card information into my Uber account. I had to go out of my way. I had to go out of my way. I was a fuck up in college. Um, I had to go out of my way to grab his ID to check his zip code, to put it in the Uber thing. I really wanted to go home. Uh, I lived in Andersonville at the time. So it was a uh, surcharge. And the only thing that was available was one of those fancy black cars. I was just like, you know what? No, fuck this guy. I deserve this black car. He also made me pay for all my drinks at Bangers and Lace. All five Negronis. And Wicker Park can be pricey. So I get this black car. I find out that the Uber cost $75 to get me from Hilson to Andersonville, right? Uh, The next day, I try to get into my Uber account. And it's suspended. <laughs> I instantly called the Uber customer service and I was just like, hey, I think I know what happened, but um, I let this guy put his credit card into my Uber account and I was really drunk and he was really drunk and I, I think my account was flagged for fraud. And the Uber guy on the phone was like, oh, sweetie. Yeah, sweetie, it's okay. <laughs> We'll get that. We'll get that all sorted out for you. Do you remember his name? And I was just like, <laughs> actually, don't. Oh God, I said his real name. Sorry, that's a really generic ass name though. So he's fine. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the Uber guy was like, Oh, honey, sweet baby, we'll get that. We'll get that taken care of for you. We'll take that charge off. Don't worry about it. You're all set. So Tinder John never found out that I, I think he might have probably found out, but he, it got taken off his credit card and I got away free and I never drank a a Negroni again. Thank you. (laughs) Biggest piece of shit in the world, Becca Brown. Nah, you're fine. Former criminal Becca Brown. Guys, we got one more song to do for you. Come on up, Dwight. Becca, you stay. You're not getting out of this one. Guys, thank you so much for being here tonight. Holy crap. I want to thank I want to thank all our storytellers tonight. You all were wonderful. I want to especially thank uh, Breather for the lovely space. Yeah. Thank you, Breather. Uh, you can book spaces like this, which I think we have pictures thanks to Katie on Breather.com. Uh, also, thank you to Common Threads, CommonThreads.org, I believe, right? Yeah. Uh, please look more at what they do. Uh, it is a really wonderful thing. And uh, yeah, thank you all so much for being here. So we're gonna take this out with a really great song that. Becca made me feel ancient when she said, oh, this was the number one song when I was born. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I was well past born when this song was number one. Uh, well past born. That's great. Oh, one, two, three, one, two, three. We belong together.
girl, I'm here for you. All those times at night when you just hurt me and just run out with that other fella, baby, I knew about it. I just didn't care. You just don't understand how much I love you, do you, girl? I'm here for you. I'm not out to go out and cheat on you all night, just like you did, baby, but that's all right. Hey, I love you anyway. And I'm still gonna be here for you, girl. Until my dying day, baby. Right now I'm just in so much pain, baby. Cause you just won't come back to me. Just come back to me. Yes, my heart is lonely, baby. My heart hurts, baby. Yes, I feel pain too. Baby, please. official show with Becca being part of our group. She is so fucking good at this. Give it up for Becca. Thank you. Who's doing the, the little Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy someone was doing it. That was awesome. Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Open Ended. Hosts Cher Vincent and James T. Green take a weekly dive into topics like tech news and code, code switching, and gender, all wrapped in the comfort of listening to two best friends disagree. For more on Open Ended, go to openended.fm. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.